We are continuing our series on Christianity 101. Now, remember the reason for this. People often say that all religions are fundamentally the same. And our answer to that is, yes, they are fundamentally the same, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of the church, and all of these other areas. Other than that, they're exactly the same. You know, people that say that all religions are fundamentally the same, they just don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand it. And because I think that Christianity in general um, has become man-centered as opposed to God-centered and truth-centered. In the Sunday School Hour, I talked about a book that Paul Chappell has written called The Savior-Sensitive Church. You know, there are a lot of churches that are seeker-sensitive, And that's focusing on the people. We need to be Savior-sensitive, focusing on the Lord. And if we focus on the Lord, then we'll know how to help those people. Amen? How many of you have been helped by the Word of God, by the Lord? So it doesn't diminish the help that people get. It gives them the right kind of help. This morning, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. And this is God's prayer for you. And this is one of those texts that I, that I hope to preach every year because this is information that we don't want to skip over. What does God want in my life? Now, you young people, that's such an important thing for you to understand. What does God want for your life? Because all of us, our parents want something for our life. And if they're godly parents, they're going to want what God wants for their children. Amen? But there are some ungodly parents who want something worldly for their children. And that's a, that's a tough situation. Some of you grew up in that situation. You had, you had God's call on your life, but your parents wanted you to do something else. And that's, that's just never a good situation. Amen? That's just not a good situation. So let's look at what God wants for all of us. And this is not specifically a message for the young people, but it's very vital for the young people. And it's important for all of us. So let's look at this. God's prayer for you. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 9. For this cause, now the the, the cause of that was all that has gone before that. We might as well start reading in verse 1 so we can lay the foundation. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. Whenever you see that, Paul didn't travel alone most of the time. He had Paul or he had Timothy or Silas or Barnabas with him. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Let me... Can I, can I just do a parenthesis here? This is a famous Pastor Jim Rabbit trail. Look at verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother. There is a method of church government um, that it's called elder rule. How many of you have heard of elder rule in a church? Um, you don't generally find it in a church like ours, and that's because we're a Baptist church. And the elder rule, it comes from the Greek word presbyteros, And that's where the word Presbyterian comes from. So what kind of church would generally have that kind of rule? A Presbyterian church. So what happens is because of the influence of Reformed theology and Calvinism on Baptist churches, mostly in the GARBC, General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, you see it a lot in there. And then other independent Baptist churches that have been influenced by John MacArthur, you see this elder rule. And the idea of elder rule, they take it from passages like this where Paul is listing Timothy or Silas or someone in the salutation to the church where he's greeting the church. 
And so they say that there was a plurality of leadership in the early church. Now, was there a plurality of leadership in the early church? Of course. You never have a church where just one person does the work. Amen? We have a plurality of leadership at Grace Baptist Church. It's myself, it's Pastor Nathan, it's Lord. No, it's, um, it's, the, the, it, it's, all, it's all of the men that are involved in leadership at Grace Baptist. Deacons, disciplers, um, the, our, our senior men that participate in the leadership of Grace Baptist. So we do have a plurality of leadership. How many of you have ever heard John MacArthur preach or you have read anything by MacArthur? Would you raise your hands? Okay, let me ask you a question and answer out loud. Who do you think is in charge at his church? If you doubt that, you've never met the man. And so he can call it elder rule, and that's fine for him to call it that. But first of all, he's, he is Baptist in doctrine. They, they took Baptist off the name uh, mostly because of his Calvinism. And what that does is it causes confusion in the church. So I've got a friend... He pastored a church. He was influenced by MacArthur. He led them to become elder rule. It always works fine for the pastor that does that because they still look at him as the pastor. The next guy is in big trouble because under an elder rule church, you have to have unanimous consent for anything that happens among the elders. Have you ever seen unanimous consent for anything? And it causes trouble. This pastor friend of mine, they wanted to move a bench that had been donated out of the lobby. All five elders couldn't agree on that, so the pastor couldn't move the bench. I would have set the thing on fire. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you that that kind of stuff, it is crazy. Anything, any living organism with more than one head is a monster. Amen? So in a New Testament church, you have the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church. Then you have the office of the pastor. There are three words in the Bible that identify what a pastor does. There's the word bishop. That means overseer. There's the word pastor. That's the shepherd. And the shepherd feeds and protects the sheep. And then there, that, and that word pastor is... Um, anyway, I'm trying to shrink... And then that is, there is the concept of elder. And the elder is somebody that knows God. He's not a novice in the Scriptures. So that, all three of those words identify the singular office of the pastor in the New Testament church. So there's not bishops, elders, and pastors. There's just the pastor. He does the, and it's interesting, just since we're here, keep your place in Colossians. Go to 1 Peter. Man, this is definitely Christianity 101. So look at um, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. The elders, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. So what do you have here? You have the three jobs of the pastor. Be an elder. Feed them. That's the role of the pastor. Take oversight. That's the bishop. Isn't that interesting? It's all in the same passage. It's all giving the same responsibilities. So to take and say that, well, the pastor preaches, the elders have the rule, and then, you know, whatever. It just causes all kinds of trouble, um, and it's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. And it causes all kinds of problems in the church. Um, I was having a conversation with Dr. Edwards one time. And we were talking about this in discipleship. And I, he was on the board at the hospital at that time. And I asked him, 
it, we're dealing with the concept of pulpit committees. How many of you have been in a church that had a pulpit committee? You ever, you ever seen that? Um, and isn't it a joy? It's a nightmare. And so there are no pulpit committees in the Bible. And I, I said, so imagine this. So he's on the board of the hospital. I said, you need a new doctor at the hospital. And you come to me and you say, Jim, we need a, a doctor at the hospital. Will you help us find one? And he said, and you're another doctor. I said, no, I'm Jim Alter. I'm pastor at Grace Baptist Church. <laughs> so funny. He said, why would I do that? <laughs> How many of you want me picking your doctor? <laughs> I hope no one. Um, what, does, what does the average person know about pastoring a church? It's interesting, isn't it? There's two things. We have high expectations for our doctors and low expectations for our pastors. It's very interesting. And I can tell you this, when they called me to be pastor, um, Dan knew at hair before that happened. And uh, it was, oh, how, how many of you, so, so Tom was involved in that and Dan, is there anybody else left? Ron Peacock, I think. Yeah. It killed the rest of them. That's what Dodie just said. It was brutal. Because you get competing agendas for the direction that you want to go and all those kinds of things. So it's just interesting how messed up we can get in our church structure if we don't stick with exactly what the Bible says about it. And if we stick with what the Bible says about it, it's awesome. Look at Titus chapter 2. This is all still my rabbit trail. I'll, I'll preach shorter this morning on the message for you. Sure. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> My reputation precedes me. All right. So Titus chapter 1, look at verse 4. Um, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, so he had led Titus to the Lord, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete... You all know what somebody is called when they move away from Crete? They're an excretion, right? For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So what happened here? What happened? You have the pastor, and this is in the apostolic time. So notice, this is so interesting, the apostle Paul didn't say who should be ordained elders. Titus went back to those churches and they examined the people in the church. And what happened was Paul was establishing these churches. He would leave them with the scriptures. He'd leave them with foundational truth. As that church continued to function, the biblical leadership naturally rose to the top in those churches. So then Titus went back and identified those men and that man was ordained as pastor of that church. You see, that's God's plan. God's plan is for men of God to ordain other men of God to the ministry. There's a place in Titus where, or in Timothy where Paul tells Timothy to stir up the gift that is in him that he received with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. What's the presbytery? Those are the pastors that came around him and ordained him into the ministry. How many of you have ever noticed there's a difference when a, a God-called man of God speaks than even when another godly man speaks? It's so interesting. When the preacher stands up to pray at a dinner, it's just different. When he stands up to communicate, 
It's different. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about on that? And so let's say, now, all of you conspiracy theory people, I'm not leaving. Okay, don't think I'm doing this. I didn't plan to do this, to talk about this today. So you, you're not that lucky. I'm not leaving. Um, but if God did call me to go to a different ministry, now, if I'm dead, I can't do this, okay? But if, if God calls me to another ministry, it's my job to help the church find a pastor. I have this conversation with pastors all the time. They believe it's time, God's moving them from a ministry. They just leave. And that church is left rudderless. How many of you have seen a church really have trouble in that situation? And it takes the next pastor an extended period of time to heal the church and to correct all the damage that's been done. And so my job is to do a good enough job as your pastor to where you trust me. And then as a church, you guys and me together, we find a pastor for the church. That's it. It's not that the pastor says, this is going to be your next guy. No, 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 that's not it at all. I, think, I don't think that's biblical either. But it's where we work together and I guide the church. How to, so what happens then? Then I know whether or not that man is qualified to do the job. Again, I couldn't counsel a doctor on how to be a doctor. You can't counsel a pastor on how to be a pastor. Right? Really important. Um, you know, most people think the pastor works one day a week. So... It's really important that we get this. We would work together to find the next pastor. That's biblical. How many of you recognize that that's biblical right away? And yet so many churches are destroyed because they have a church constitution that identifies a process that is completely unbiblical. Pulpit committees are a problem because there's competing, there's competing agendas on those committees. So, uh, there you go. That's the end of that parenthesis. Now for this morning's message. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. Now, who is God's elect? The faith of God's elect. That's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's elect. And according to the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Let me, let me address that. Look at Galatians chapter 2. I'm in the wrong passage anyway. Galatians chapter 2. Might as well answer the question I already opened. Galatians chapter 2. The faith of God's elect, remember? So Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by my faith. What's it say? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isaiah chapter 42 identifies Jesus Christ as God's elect. So now let's go to Colossians <laughs> chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to point something else out from verse 2. One of the big um, areas of concern in Christianity is that you have a false understanding of the New Testament church. So... 
when you hear people talk about the church, what the church needs to do, if you're listening to Christian radio, the church, God has provided the church this, that what they're talking about is every saved person in the world. That's what they're talking about with the church. And so in most, in, in Christianity, you have, and I'm talking about broader Christianity, the Christian radio, Christian bookstore. What you have is the church, which is his body, that is all the saved people. And then the local churches are down here, much less important. All right? And that's how doctrine is diminished. The reason that there are different denominations is because they have different doctrine. Is that fair? Right? But if repetition, what is repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. So we understand God's points of emphasis by how he repeats those words. Is that fair? So I want you to think about something. The word church is used something like 115 times in your Bible. 110 of those are like this, the church at Colossae. Local assemblies. Just a few times it's talking about every saved person. So what's the emphasis in the Bible then? The local church. The local assembly. Why is that? Who is over the church which is His body? Jesus. Right? Jesus Christ is. What man has God placed over that? Oh, the Pope, right? Understand, that's the universal church teaching. The word universal means Catholic. Catholic means universal. That's what those words mean. So the Pope is the head of all Christians according to that teaching. That's found nowhere in Scripture. Amen? That's found nowhere in Scripture. Remember what Peter said. If Peter was the Pope, he didn't know it. He said he was an elder, a pastor. So it's, it's really important that we get these concepts. The local assembly is the focus of almost everything in the New Testament. Every Christian, and we're going to see what God's will is for every Christian. It's the same thing. But God's, the way that we are to function in ministry is in local assemblies under God's specific direction and order. He didn't leave us rudderless. He gave us the Word of God. The what would Jesus do is if we have to figure it out. That's not what we have. We have what did He command us to do. Let's do that. All right? So let's, let's read on. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up before you in heaven, wherefore ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So the, the truth of the word of God has been preached in all the world and they received it. When you receive that truth, then you become a saint in God. You become a saved person. All right, look at verse 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras is their pastor, and Paul heard from, from Epaphras how good the church at Colossae was doing. Verse 9, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire... All right, so now, this is, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
the prayer that the Apostle Paul had for these Christians in Colossae who had heard the word of truth, they had believed the word of truth, they're united together in love, they have the hope of the return of Jesus Christ. It was a good church. This is his prayer for them. And this is God's prayer for us. So let's look at what God has for us. Why don't we go to the Lord and ask Him to help us with that right now. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study Your Word right now. Lord, the foundational truth that we've already laid is vital to the functioning of Grace Baptist Church. Now let's look at what You want for us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God's prayer for you. Number one, He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will. Look at verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will. All right? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So the first prayer that God has for believers is that we be filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, um, I went to Bible college. Some of you are in Bible college or have been to Bible college. And you at the Christian school, I'm sure you have heard messages on God's will for your life. How many of you have ever heard a message where a preacher preached on God's will for your life? Right? And then people will ask you, what are you going to do? And you might hear this. Well, I'm, tr- I'm praying for God's will in this. I want to know what God's will is in this. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? Right? Let's see what God's will is for us. We need to lay this foundation. God's will is the same thing for everybody. It's not a mystery. God's will for you is not a mystery. You're not waiting for a skywriter. Okay? God's, it's not a mystery. God has told us. The first thing that His will tells us to do is He wants us to be saved. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, what's that next word? Will have some men to, come, to be saved. All. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all that all means. Right? For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So God's will for everyone is that they be saved. You know, I mentioned Calvinism earlier. Calvinism teaches that that God created some people to go to heaven and He created others to go to hell. And those who He created to go to heaven, they, they have to be saved. And those who God created to go to hell, they can't be saved. And it's all based on God's will. Well, God's will is that all be saved. So apparently Calvinism is wrong. How many of you think that that verse is confusing? Let's look at it again. Verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that everyone be saved. That is God's will. Does that mean that everyone will be saved? No. No. Why? Because God does not override your will. He created you and gave you free will. You have the ability to choose Him and you have the ability to reject Him. He wants you to choose Him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's look at that verse, 2 Peter 3, nine. Man, I love studying the Bible, don't you? Getting God's foundation for what we're supposed to be and do. All right, Second Peter chapter 3, look at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Any of you ever been called a slacker? God is not a slacker, right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when the Calvinist teaches that, that so remember what their acronym is, it's TULIP, total depravity. That means that, you're, that you're, because you're depraved, you're incapable of receiving Christ. The U is unlimited, uh, uh, unconditional election. And that is that not based on anything that you have done, but only on His will, He chose some people for heaven and some people for hell. Unconditional election is clearly unbiblical. Do you see that? How many of you see it? Uh, Because I'm going to go through all of Calvinism and teach it all if you don't raise your hands and say that you see that this is the truth. (laughs) McDermott's want to get out of here. They raise their hands so fast. (laughs) They're not willing that I teach Calvinism. All right. Um, It's just, this is so clear in the Bible, isn't it? It is so clear that it is God's will for everyone to be saved. What's the next thing that God wants us to be? Not only saved, but He wants us to be Spirit-filled. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Years ago, I preached a message called uh, Weeding Out the Tulips. And I said that I'm going to solve 400 years of church controversy in one sermon. And, you know, people laughed. And I said, I'm serious. There's no reason for the controversy. It's ridiculous. It is com- Calvinism is not found in the Bible. Reformed theology is not found anywhere in the Scriptures. It, it, it's just not there. It's not there at all. And it hurts a lot of people. All right, here we go. All right, so Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled is God's will. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. How are we filled with the Spirit? How does that happen? Look at what it says, verse 10. Speaking to yourselves, the evidence of it is that you're speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So what does that mean? That means, first of all, you know the Bible. You're able to meditate on it. You're able to speak the Bible to yourself and others. And then you have a song in your heart. You have a song in your heart. And one of the reasons that I try... Young people, all you young people, wake up for just a second. You can go back to sleep in a minute. But listen to this right here. This is why I tell you guys to listen to Christian music. So you can have a, a godly song in your heart. Understand that whether it's country music or or pop music, whatever, and certainly hip-hop, the, the, and I couldn't tell you a hip-hop song. I just, are you impressed that I knew that category? I mean, you're really surprised. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, I was trying to preach against bad music, and I could only think about bands from like 30 years ago. I don't, like Donna Summer, right? Um, so, God wants you, it's God's will that you be spirit-filled, and evidence of that filling of the spirit is that you have a song in your heart. And that song is biblical. That song is godly. It's Christian. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know of music that would not be edifying for the believer? Right? So don't listen to that. You know, I don't know about you guys. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I've got a song running in my mind. Right? I should tell you guys some so that they get in your head. But how many of you ever had a song you couldn't get out of your head? Wouldn't it be better if it was godly? Isn't that better? So that's an evidence. Singing, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Uh, let, me, let me just reference that, making melody in your heart to the Lord. There are some people that believe that the only kind of music 
It, it has to have a driving beat, a driving rhythm to the music. The music that you listen to ought to be melody-driven. That's scriptural. That's what, that's what needs to be in your heart and in your mind. Am I making that up or is that pretty clear? Singing and making rhythm in your heart to the Lord. Is that what it says? No, every song has rhythm. You can't have a song without rhythm. But the point is it needs to have a melody. All right? <laughs> Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <laughs> she is so, so quick. Um, then look at what it says, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have a song in your heart and you're thankful. That's when you're spirit-filled. Now, be honest with me. How many of you had a day this past week where you really did not have a song in your heart and you were not thankful? Would you raise your hands? I'm getting my hands up. Right? What does that mean? It means you weren't filled with the Spirit at that moment. Is that fair? And how do you fix that? By being filled with the Spirit. How does that happen? I'm going to show you. Um, then, verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Then you know this whole text about the home, how you're supposed to interact with each other. So, a spirit-filled person, you submit one to another, the husband takes his proper role, the wife takes her proper role, the kids obey and honor the Lord. That's, what, that's the result of being filled with the Spirit. Am I making it up or is that pretty clear in the Bible? So, how does that happen? Go to Colossians chapter 3. All right, look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, is everybody there? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, look up at me. I, want, I, I don't want you to miss this. You might want to write down this cross-reference, but John 6.63, Jesus said, The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's what Jesus said. John 6.63, the words, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. All right? So, Jesus Christ has defined His words as spirit. Is that fair? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. All right? So, back to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is in the Lord. Husbands, love your... Is it the same thing? So, here's... This is one of the most important truths in the Christian life that I think is completely neglected in most churches, and I rarely hear it taught. Because what happens is the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, people have come up with this mystical idea. You need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You need to work for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You need to empty yourself so that God can fill you. you know, how many of you ever heard any of that that I just said? How many of you have heard that kind of things taught? The only problem is none of that's in the Bible. It's not there. How are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So here's how you're filled with the Spirit. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You read the Bible. You study the Bible. You meditate on the Bible. You sing the Bible. You live the Bible. And as you're filled with Scripture, then you know how to submit. 
as you're filled with Scripture, then you know how to submit. As you're filled with the Holy Scripture, with the Scripture, then you know how to behave, how to live, and how to make your decisions. And that's where your joy and your peace comes from. It all comes from being filled with the Bible. God wants you to be filled with Scripture. It's not some weird mystical thing that only happens to a special few. It's for all of us who let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Isn't that wonderful? All right, so God's will is that we be saved. God's will is that we be Spirit-filled. And then God's will is that we be sanctified. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Just one book over. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse 3. For this is the will of God. Now let me ask you again, is that hard to understand? Anyone? Is that hard to understand? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. All right, so really important. Young people, man, this is so important. Here's the will of God for you. Stay in control of yourself. Don't commit fornication. What is fornication? It's any kind of sexual sin. It's looking at the wrong thing. It's not seeing the wrong thing. If you live in this world, you're going to see stuff that is not good. Amen? I'm not telling us we're going to go in a monastery and, you know, build walls and drink Kool-Aid. All right? <laughs> That's not what we're going to do. We're going to live in the world, but we're going to, to be righteous in an evil world. And so sanctification, what does sanctification mean? Set apart. Set apart. Young people, what does sanctification mean? Set apart. That means, that, that was the lamest thing that I've ever seen. Young people, epic. Young people, what does, what, what does sanctification mean? Set apart. That just means you're different. You're different. You young ladies, you, you, your body is prepared for the man that God has for you. You are set apart and special. You're special. You're special. You're His. Young men, your body is set apart for that, that, that woman that God has for you. That one woman, as long as you both shall live, that's God's will. And all the adults said, Amen. All of us, you, you men in the workplace, you're set apart for God and for your wife. You ladies in the workplace, in the culture, in the church, you are set apart for God and for your husband. That is God's will. That is clearly God's will. Amen? We're supposed to do right on that. So it is God's will that we be sanctified, that we're set apart and that we're free from sexual sin. And I've got to say, uh, we started watching a, a television show that was recommended to me and the rating, it looked like we ought to be able to watch it and we made it through about one and a half. And I, you know, I'm sitting there with Lydia and my wife and I I can't do this. I can't do this. We're, we're sanctified. We're set apart. Amen? We are set apart and we live that way. All right. Then, submissive. Oh, let me, can I just make, make a statement on that television show? You know that we're going to live without a particular television show? Uh, <laughs> stop there. All right. God wants us to be submissive. Man, this is hard for Americans. It's probably hard for everybody, but our culture. When I was in um, Rome with Steve Baker, and people kept coming up to us trying to sell us stuff. 
And Steve said, do we have American written on our forehead? And she said, yes. And I said, what is it? How do you know that we're American? She said, it's the way you walk. I said, what do you mean? She said, you walk like you own everything. Well, since we pulled their tails out of the fire, we really do. But anyway, um, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Hope there's no Italians here today. All right. 1 Peter chapter 2. And look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Do you like that? Not for that man's sake. For the Lord's sake. How many of you have ever had a president you didn't like? Yeah? Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him. By who? By God. For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is that talking about? You know that there are people that push the law and that causes their worship to be hindered. We need to have a good relationship with government. So we're going to build a building here, Lord willing. We're going to build this building. We're going to have a good relationship with our city government. We're going to submit to their ordinances, even if we disagree with them. How many of you know that there are certain ordinances and zoning rules and things that are silly? Has anyone ever seen something like that? You can fight it. You can make an enemy with the inspector. You can cause yourself all kinds of trouble, cause yourself money. It doesn't help. We have to submit to the ordinances of men. And if that means that certain parts of the building cost more, that's what it costs to live in Sydney, Ohio, in the United States of America right now. So that we can have our ministry and have a good testimony, we need to submit. Is that fair? You all recognize? See, here's a problem. Now, you guys know that I'm more libertarian than I am Republican, for sure. I don't think we have too few laws. We have way too many laws. That's a big problem in our culture. So you know where I am. And yet we're not anarchists. We believe in government. God established government. Right? We have to be very careful. No one at Grace Baptist Church should ever be talking about, you know, wanting to shoot a leader. Amen? Really important that we get this. All right. So let's go on. We're supposed to be submissive. And then we're supposed to be suffering. Look at Philippians chapter 1. We don't like to suffer, do we? This is my least favorite of the things that are God's will. Philippians 1, look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Man, it's important that we get this. See, we, because we have lived in an environment that's been friendly to Christianity, we have not had to suffer for our faith. We, we've had a reprieve, haven't we? That reprieve is going away. Now, let me say something. I believe that the Obama, I'm sorry, that the uh, Trump administration, the election of Donald Trump, has given us a, a window of freedom. If Hillary Clinton had been elected, many of our freedoms would have been removed as Christians. We know that from the statements that she made. It's, it's very important. Now, if you're here and you're a Democrat and you love Democrats and all of that, I can't help you. 
that I'm just telling you the truth based on what they said. You need to know we don't like the Republicans either. You know, you could make a living in Washington doing spine transplants. So we're, we're talking about the truth. And this removing of regulations, this removing of um, the, the tax exemption issues, all of those under the Trump administration, that's a blessing for us. But at some point in the United States, we're going to suffer persecution for being Christians. And it's God's will that we be willing to do that. Now, here's the problem. We don't want our children to miss out on sports. We don't want our children to miss out on bands. We don't want our children to miss out on drama or whatever. Um, and so we will keep them in situations where there's, there's immorality. Are, is that the kind of person that's going to be willing to suffer persecution? You all need to pray about that and think about that. It's going to cost us something to be righteous. It's going to cost us something to be holy. Think about that. Now, listen, I'm not making your decisions for you. It's between you and God, but you need to think about it and pray about it. Amen? All right. So, God, so look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Amen? It's going to cost us something to be godly. He wants us to be suffering. All right? So he wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will. God's will is the same thing for everyone. Next, he wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? If you look at, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1. So look at verse 9 again. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Let me say this before we go on to the next point. He wants you, it, it's very clear, He wants us to be wise. That's knowing what to do with the knowledge you've gained, right? Knowing how to use that. And then He wants us to have spiritual understanding. What is that spiritual understanding? It's taking off the world's glasses and putting on biblical glasses. To the world, when money gets tight, they'll say to you, why are you giving that money to the church? The problem is those people don't have spiritual understanding. Amen? They don't have spiritual understanding. What are some other examples? You know, you say that I'm not going to do this with my family. And your extended family says that's ridiculous. You think you're better than us. The problem is they don't have spiritual understanding. God wants you to have that. I, I wish I had more time to spend on that, but let's go on. He wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. That's verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So the first thing that he wants us to do is walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So here's the question. You young people, this is such a good thing. When, when you're making your decision about school, about college, is this going to please the Lord? Is my decision here going to please the Lord? Your major, am I going to please the Lord? The party that you're invited to. Will my attendance at this party be pleasing to the Lord? Adults, not all you young people, all you young people stand up and turn around for a minute. You adults, how many of you adults ever saw something or were around something at a party that you wish you had never been involved in? Would you raise your hands? 
Young people, do you see that? You see it? Old folks, hold your hands up again. I want the young people to make sure they're seeing it. Okay, thanks. You can sit down. It's really important that you get this. When your parents say no, you know, hey, so-and-so's having a party, who's going to be there? You ever ever been through this? Who's going to be there? Are their mom and dad going to be home? All those questions that are asked. And then they say, nah, you're not doing that. It's not because they hate you. It's because they know. They know. Oh, it's just a party. All my friends are going to be there. We're just going to have a... You know that's exactly what you look like. You know that's exactly it. What are they trying to do? They're trying to help you please the Lord. Help them help you. Help them help you. And that's just an example. All of us make decisions every day. You know, what house we're going to buy, what, you know, how we're going to live. All of those things, we need to ask God, does this please you? Does this choice please you? Amen? Apply it to everything. This is the way the Lord wants us to walk unto all pleasing. And then being fruitful in every good work. Young people, this is vital. And please don't miss this. I mentioned this last week when I was preaching to the graduates. Um, we got good kids at Grace Baptist. That doesn't mean none of them ever mess up. But in general, we have, we have godly kids. But there's a big difference between not doing evil and doing good. Are you being fruitful? Young people, when's the last time you led someone to the Lord Jesus Christ personally? When's the last time you helped a brother or sister in Christ grow in the Lord? You know, there are activities, and you say, well, I don't want to go on that activity. It's not going to be fun for me. Well, what if somebody else needs you there at that moment? You know, sometimes somebody else is about to make a really bad mistake, and all it takes is a good Christian friend to keep him from going off the deep end. Right? There's a big difference between not doing evil and being fruitful in ministry. You know, there are gardens with no weeds. that have no fruit. We need to make sure that we have the fruit. Amen? Walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work. And then increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. This is a passage that we use here often, and it's so effective. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 10.5. The Bible says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So it's really important that we understand that we've got to grow in knowledge. That means you've got to read. You've got to work at it. We have a real problem in our culture to where people have been allowed to say this. I don't like to read. I don't enjoy reading. There was a time in our culture when that's all you could do is read. Everybody read. The farmer would read while he's plowing the field. Everyone would read. The best educated people in the country were were laborers. And now what has happened is you have people that go to college and you have laborers. The people that go to college read the laborers. I'm not saying that this is right, but the thinking is that laborers don't read. That's just not true. Our church is full of laborers who read. Amen? Amen. Just because you enjoy a certain type of work has nothing to do, has absolutely nothing to do with your ability to bring knowledge in. Amen? It's really important that we get this. Don't let anybody tell you that reading is silly. Reading is fundamental. 
it's important that we get this. Paul said, till I come, give attendance to reading. Give attendance to reading. We need to be growing in our knowledge. Now, I've got to say this. Man, it's great pastoring Grace Baptist because we've got a lot of people that love knowledge here. It's an easy church to preach at because people want information and want knowledge. Let's make sure that we're growing. Amen? Let's make sure that we're growing. All right, then. He wants us to be strengthened with all might. Look at, we're back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. All right? So He wants us to be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. I'm not going to take the time to illustrate all of these as well as they deserve because I preached another sermon before I got to this one. Um, but this is really important. How many of you know that God wants you to do certain things? Would you raise your hands, please, if you, if you know that God wants you to do certain things? I recognize that often it seems like we're incapable of doing those things. That's why we need His power. That's why we... He doesn't ask us to do anything that He doesn't first empower us to do. It's really important. God never asks you to do anything that He is incapable of helping you do. And that's where this is important. He wants us to be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. You're right. You can't do it. I'm right. I can't do it. But He can do it through me. We have to believe that. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's look at the next one. Unto all patience. Unto all patience. Sometimes we just need to wait. I don't like to wait. You know, we're a generation that says they're tapping our foot looking at the microwave. We want it to be quick. We want it to be fast. We want it to be now. If my computer is slowing down a little bit, time for a new one. <laughs> we have to be patient. God wants us to be patient. Man, I don't know if there's anything more important for Americans to learn is patience, waiting on God, listening, waiting, being patient, letting His work come to fruition. Then long-suffering, oh man, with joyfulness. Long-suffering with joyfulness. You know that you're going to have a hard time in your life. And it might seem really long. Where's your joy? Please don't raise your hand. Some of you are suffering right now. And it has seemed like a long time. How is your joy? How is your joy? Well, how can you expect me to be joyful when this is going on? I can't expect you, but I can expect God to do it in you with His glorious power. And I promise you, everything will get better if you're thankful and have joy. Amen? You know, I, I texted with Dalt this morning. Some of you might not know, Dalton's dad died this week. And... He had to preach the, Dalton had to preach the funeral for his dad yesterday. And now, so he preached the funeral yesterday, and now he's got to preach at home today. And you all remember what a mess I was trying to preach the Sunday after my dad's funeral. And I don't know if he can have joy today or not, but I know that God can give him joy. Amen? Because his dad was a godly man. His dad was a great man. And I talked to him on Friday and he and his brother were both preaching the funeral. Let me tell you something that's so cool. Dalton's brother, some of you know, he went to prison for seven years for um, bringing uh, meth over state lines. He had thousands and thousands of dollars with him. He had just gotten messed up. He's a kid that had gone to a Christian school, gone to Bible college, and just he and his wife got messed up. Went to prison for seven years. His wife went to prison for six years. He's an assistant pastor at a church now serving God, runs a recovery program for addicts and is in charge of their missions program, a large church, about 2,000 people. We need to get him to come up and give his testimony. But Jeff and Dalton preached their dad's funeral. Isn't that amazing? While, while Jeff and his wife were in prison, 
their daughter graduated from Pensacola Christian College with a nursing degree because grandma and grandpa took care of them while the kids were in prison. So they're going to go through the loss of their dad. But God's going to bring joy. Isn't that good? God's going to bring joy. So long-suffering with joyfulness. That's my prayer for you. That's God's prayer for you. Not that the suffering is, is always taken away. God, It's God's will that we suffer sometimes. makes us stronger. Helps us know how to help other people. All right? Then, He wants us to give thanks to the Father. Look at what it says in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's look at that. Because He has changed us. He's changed us. He wants us to give thanks to the Father because He's changed us. What does that mean? Meet to be partakers. What does that meet mean? English is hard. All right? You imagine somebody from this country and somebody says, I'm going to meet my friend. We're going to go and eat meat. <laughs> right? So what does this meat mean? It means fit, suitable, proper, qualified, convenient, adapted as to a use or purpose. So what has He done? He's, he's made us meet. He's made us suitable, proper, qualified to be partakers. Partakers of what? Look at, we have an inheritance, but look what it says before that. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. He's made us fit. He's made us able to receive the inheritance. What is the inheritance? It's eternal life. It's the glory of being like Christ. It's everything that God has for Christ He has given to us. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that amazing? You know, um, how many of you know that it's a really bad thing to give a young person everything they want? How many of you know that, right? You've seen a, a college kid that they, they get the brand new car and they get college paid for and they get everything they want and you college kids are saying, yes. And then they get out of school and if, if dad cuts that off, now they don't have any idea what it means to actually live, right? It's bad to give someone everything they want. Now, look, if your dad bought you a car for college, praise God, I'm glad he did that. Have him get me one or two. <laughs> what I'm saying is it's bad to give someone everything they want. God knows that. But you ready for this? He's going to make us able to receive everything that he has to give. That's cool. We need to be thankful to that God. All right? And then it says because we have an inheritance. All right? And then because we belong to the family of the saints. Do you know that a saint is not a plastic statue that goes on your dash? All right? You're a saint. Every saved person, every saved person is a saint. Don't, that, that's the definition scripturally. Then he wants us to be delivered from the power of darkness. Look at what it says in verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, all of us, there's only two families in the world. There's Satan's family and there's God's family. When you get saved, all of your interaction is in Satan's family. God wants you to be established into his family. You get into his family by being born again. Our natural state is to be enslaved to the power of darkness. And he's translated us. That is, he has supernaturally moved us from the darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. That is so cool. And here's the deal. You're already a part of his kingdom. The Bible says the kingdom of God is in you. Right? Don't say, lo here, lo there, for the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, the Bible says in the book of Luke. The kingdom of God in, in the book of Romans is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You are in that kingdom right now. Now, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is going to return and establish on this earth. But until then, you are in. You have been translated. Isn't that good? Let's not be lovers of darkness. Let's be lovers of light. Then, that's it. 
That's all God has for you for the rest of your life. Listen, God's prayer for us, let's just review quickly. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of His will. He wants us to walk worthy of the Lord. He wants us to be strengthened with all His might. He wants us to give thanks to the Father. And He wants us to be delivered from the power of darkness. So let me ask you a question. How many of you, something in there, something in there that God has for you, you needed to hear again today? Would you raise your hand? You need to hear again. You remember who this is written for. This is written for believers who are established in these things. And this is what Paul was praying for them. It's wonderful to be reminded of these things. Let's, let's just make sure that we know. We know what God's will is. And as we do what He wants us to do according to His will, then He reveals His plan to us. Bob Jones Sr., he would say that happiness is stumbled upon on the pathway of duty. Happiness is stumbled upon on the pathway of duty. Young people, doing the right things, taking the right steps, that's hard. And that doesn't seem happy when you're making those right choices and decisions. Because remember, when you make a right choice, you're rejecting the wrong choice. Do you know what happens afterwards, though? Happiness. See, if you seek to be happy, you'll make all kinds of mistakes. If you seek to be right, then God will give you the happiness. You get that backwards and you end up with all these stars and committing suicide and drug addicts and all this mess and debauchery. Those are people that put their happiness first and put righteousness completely away. If you look to do right, then the happiness will come. It's a byproduct of doing right. Amen, adults. Isn't that so true? Man, when you get things right, it's wonderful. I'm done. I've gone a little longer than I wanted to. But let me just say this. It's wonderful when the marriage is right. It's wonderful when the home is peaceful and the marriage is right. It's wonderful when the relationship with the kids is right. That's a wonderful thing. It's a bummer when the relationship's not right. Amen? Happiness comes from doing things God's way. If we really believe that, it changes the way that we live and the decisions we make. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.